Welcome to the God's Peculiar People podcast, where we learn about the lives and characteristics of God's people. This is the next episode in our series on the 12 disciples. So we're going to look today at Thomas. The first and last time that we see the name of Thomas uh, is found in the list of disciples. So first in Matthew 10, where we first see his name mentioned. And then lastly, we see his name mentioned in Acts 1. Other than being listed in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, little but Thomas's inclusion in the list of disciples is recorded about him. Yet in the Gospel of John, the gospel in which we see Jesus' deity fully on display, we learn of his interactions and conversations with Thomas. There are three, just three instances, in John where we see Thomas speaking. They're found in John eleven sixteen, fourteen 14, verse 5, and in John 20, verses 24 through 29. But before we get to those, let's talk a little bit about who Thomas is, what we do know about him. Uh, Thomas is called Didymus. Both names, according to dictionaries, mean twins in both Hebrew and in Greek. So it is speculated that Thomas had a twin sibling. I've looked to see if there's any other meanings, any other possible meanings, and everyone seems to agree (laughs) that it means twin. So that's the best we have on that. Now, it is in John 11, 16, where we learn we learn this fact that he is uh, Thomas, which is called Didymus. And when we're seeing Thomas speak, uh, for context, the the disciples have just learned that Lazarus, a dear friend of Jesus, has died, and that Jesus intends to journey to Judea, to the home of Mary and Martha, to to see them. In verse, well, we know he does more than more, but that's the reason why his disciples think that he is going. In verse 8, the disciples had reminded Jesus that the last time he visited Judea, the Jews sought to stone him there, but Jesus is insistent on going. They kind of feel like it's a fool's errand. And as they come to the realization that they will not change Jesus' mind, Thomas cheerily says, I'm joking with the cheerily part, he says, uh, let us also go that we may die with him. The disciples have already expressed their opinion that this is a fool's errand that uh, the Jews have sought to stone him, so why do you want to go there again? Then he mentions that you know, his friend Lazarus is asleep, that he goes to to awake him out of sleep. They don't understand what that means exactly, because they are assuming that they're going to go and, and die if they go there. Um, and so it appears that Thomas kind of, he vocalized for everyone. Normally it's Peter. Peter vocalizes for everyone what everyone's thinking. That, you know, yes, we, we believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But here it is Thomas vocalizing that the others thought that Jesus was headed into a hornet's nest. And that he, as well as themselves, uh, would die by going there. We know the story. He doesn't die when he goes to raise Lazarus from the dead. Instead of dying, he actually uh, brings Lazarus back to life. So we see a good come out of this. Much of the remaining chapters in John focus on Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, followed by Jesus' teaching and explaining to the disciples what will take place. And Thomas is right. Jesus will die, but it's not how or when they might have anticipated. Nor would a single disciple die with him. Perhaps he's so bold to say this because he's heard Peter make bold statements before, and so his courage is aroused, and he wants to imitate 
Peter a little bit. I don't know that for sure. It's a possibility. You're around these 12 men, um, 11 other men all the time. It's possible that some of their characteristics may kind of rub off on you and you might act like that occasionally, but we see that it doesn't last for long. The next time we find Thomas speaking is in John 14. Today, with a completed Bible in our hand, it is easy to question why Thomas would make the statement that he does. So, uh, for context, Jesus in chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, is telling them, well, rather than summarizing it, let me just read it. It says in verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas questions and says, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Again, we see here that Thomas seems to be piping up and asking the question that the others are thinking. And in so doing, he contradicts Jesus, who says in verse 4, And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas kind of like sticks his hand up and says, uh, Lord, no, we don't. How, how, we don't know where you're going. And how, how are we supposed to know how you're getting there? <laughs> how are we supposed to know the way to get there? Um, some might say that Thomas is to be commended for confessing his ignorance as to Jesus' meaning. Yet the cause of his ignorance was by choice. Thomas and the other disciples were still imagining an earthly kingdom where Jesus would overthrow the worldly powers, then reigning and proclaim himself king, though Jesus had time and again had explained his purpose, that he was coming to die, that he would die. Um, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus stating why he's come, that he will die, and yet they've missed that. It's, and it's easy to, to say that now, to say, oh, they missed that, because... Again, we have the completed Bible. We know the full story, but they didn't. They were in the moment, not seeing the full picture that we see. Many times I've heard Thomas being mocked for asking this question, but if you could try to imagine what Thomas had been taught. The prophetical teaching he may have heard all of his life and the desire of the nation of Israel for a deliverer, it's little wonder that Thomas and the others were focused so much on physical salvation, physical kingdom that would come. Think also, had Thomas not asked the question, we might not have gotten Jesus' answer, which is the gospel in a nutshell. And we find that in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. It's so simple. It's right there. I am Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The last time we see Thomas mentioned is following Jesus' death and resurrection. In John 20, verses 19 through 23, we read that Jesus had appeared to the disciples, but for some reason, Thomas was not present at that time. It's not explained why he wasn't there, what the reasoning was. But when the others told him what they had seen, that Jesus had appeared and spoke with them, Thomas doubted. It's where he gets his name, Doubting Thomas. If Thomas had been out and about in the city, it is probable that he heard the report that Jesus' body had been stolen by the disciples. That's told in Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15. And so he might have believed that story. Not trying to say that he wasn't a doubter, but rather to help us realize what may have caused him to doubt. Thomas may have heard this rumor and believed what the people in the city were saying, that the disciples had stolen his body. 
And so then when he goes back and, and sees the disciples and they're telling him the story that we have seen Jesus, he's been here, he's been amongst us. There's a chance he may have doubted, believing that, oh, they're lying to me. They're saying that he's risen from the dead, and yet I'm hearing in the streets that his body was stolen by his disciples. There could have been some doubt in his mind. Because, remember, they were expecting something physical. They were expecting a physical kingdom to come. And so this doesn't fit with what he was expecting, what he was thinking. They hadn't fully understood. Even Peter and John, we'll, we'll talk about that later when we get to them. They did not fully understand that Jesus would die and three days later rise again. No one was at the tomb expecting him to rise from the dead. No one was outside waiting for him. Because that wasn't what they expected. And so Thomas doubts what they're telling him. The others try to convince Thomas of what they had seen. But Thomas declares, Except I shall see in his hand the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas was putting a physical requirement on his belief. He wanted to see and feel before he would believe. And you have to admit, it's no different today. You try your best to explain the gospel to someone, but many refuse to believe because they cannot see or feel their way to truth. So many religions and churches say you have to have a feeling. The Mormon church claims you'll have a, a burning in your bosom, and that's how you know that you're doing the right thing, or that God has spoken to you, is that feeling. The Pentecostals, they want to speak in tongues, because that's a feeling. You get to feel something. But it's not about feeling. It's about faith. And that's something that at that moment Thomas did not have. He still believed that God was who God said he was. He still believed that Jesus was the Son of God. I imagine he still believed that. But he didn't believe Jesus had risen again. That's where people have trouble still today. It's hard for people to comprehend. How can someone die and then rise again? Jesus gave us many examples. Lazarus being the greatest one that God can raise someone from the dead. Jesus, as God, was able to rise from the dead and is alive today at the right hand of God. But people want to see something physical, just like Thomas. They want something physical. They want a feeling. They want a dove in the sky. They want the cloven tongues of fire to come down on them and know that the Spirit of God is on them. But it's faith. We're to believe by faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The more people hear the word of God, if their hearts are open and willing to, to learn, to believe, then they can. But people who are so obsessed with having to have something physical, it makes it very, very hard for them to believe that the gospel is so simple. But yet it is true. And that's what Thomas had. He had difficulty believing, and he placed a physical requirement on his belief. Eight days later, though, when all the disciples were together, Jesus appeared again in their midst and speaks directly to Thomas. And he says, Thomas, reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Now I have a question real quick before we, we, we get to Thomas's response. Why did Jesus wait eight days? I don't have a, a, a true answer for this because I, I don't know. But why did he wait eight days? So here's, a, here's a thought. For eight days, 
Thomas watched as the disciples rejoiced and were filled with joy that Jesus was alive. Yet there he was, watching for a week their excitement, and he still did not believe. Jesus could have come at any moment. Jesus could have come at the moment Thomas put his stipulation and conditions on his belief in Jesus' resurrection. But he didn't. He waited eight days. I imagine as the disciples told others about having seen Jesus, others believed, though not having seen Jesus themselves. Yet Thomas stubbornly held to his condition for belief. As he saw Peter and James and John, Mary, uh, whoever else may have been uh, together, whoever else that they were talking to and coming to connection with those eight days, people were excited. They had seen. They were talking about what they had seen. They talked about what Jesus had done. We talked about what Jesus was going to do. And yet Thomas is still unbelieving. It's crazy to think about, but it, you have to wonder, why did Jesus wait eight days? I think maybe it truly was for Thomas to have that time to see everyone and give him an opportunity to believe without seeing. When Jesus appears, he instructs Thomas to put his hands, to feel his hands, and to put his hand into his side. Jesus knew what Thomas had declared was necessary for his belief, and yet we don't read of Thomas reaching forth to touch. Rather, we find Thomas's final recorded words in the Bible, My Lord and my God. Jesus could have sharply rebuked Thomas for his unbelief, but instead his words speak to us today. Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed, blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. Thomas's doubting was a teaching opportunity for us today. When people mock, mockingly ask to see God, and then they'll believe. Jesus has spoken already to them. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. Following the Acts 1 mention of Thomas, nothing more about him is found in the Bible. Going to historical sources, we find in Fox's Book of Martyrs that uh, it's believed that Thomas made it to India. In Eusebius' ecclesiastical history, it is claimed that the apostles allotted regions to work in and that Thomas was sent to Parthia. Traditions claim that Thomas died on December 21st in 72 AD, and Fox's Book of Martyrs writes that Thomas preached the gospel in Persia, Parthia, and India. In Kalamania, India, he was tortured by angry pagans, run through with spears, and thrown into the flames of an oven. We can't be 100% sure that that is... Uh, how Thomas's life ended, but it is uh, highly probable since the stories we do have of the more well-known disciples, specifically Peter and uh, James, John's brother, that died horrific deaths because of the gospel. But, um, and this is the, the traditional story about Thomas, that uh, he did make it to India, that he died, but can we be 100% certain? Eh, not quite, but it seems very, very likely. But it is, it's interesting, if we're thinking um, forward in time, uh, 72 AD, Jesus would have died and rose again, 33 AD. Um, Thomas had quite uh, the long, a long time to be able to share the gospel, to work. And so he would have been an older man. He wouldn't have been young when he died. Uh, so very interesting, the amount of time that he was able to, to work in Persia, Parthia, and uh, perhaps even in India. While it would be interesting to learn more about Thomas and how he lived on his faith in later years, his final words have to be sufficient. His final words after having disbelieved what others said were, My Lord and my God. 
he went on to serve his Lord and his God, from what we understand, faithfully for the rest of his life. So Thomas is a reminder to us that we don't have to see to believe. We don't need a feeling. Just didn't come and tell us to, to feel something to believe or to tell people they had to have a certain feeling for salvation. It's not feeling. It is belief. It is faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Through his word, we read of who Jesus is, what he did, and he speaks to us, teaches us through his word. So find someone this week that you can share the story of Jesus with. They may not believe right away. They may want proof of something they can feel. But share with them the truth that all they have to do is have faith and belief. Thank you for listening to the God's Peculiar People podcast. I will talk to you again next week.